I really don't know how to start this sermon coming out of that song. I'm trying. I'm, I failed first service. It's like, yeah, no, it's not. It's not as loud. Anyway, hey, welcome to first church. So glad you're here. It's, I, I almost just want to start singing it together. They will know, but we won't. Um, anyway. Hey, uh, welcome to First Church. So glad you are here. I want to say welcome out to our Stone Canyon, Verticus campus, and everybody online. Good to have you with us as well. And uh, we had just had an incredible week in Mexico. <laughs> Woo-woo! And uh, I still have energy after going and building two houses and driving all night home. Anyway, of course, they slept all night home while the rest of us drove. Anyway, um, great time and went down, accomplished the mission, um, Number one mission, pointing two families to Jesus by building them homes. Number two mission, we built the homes. We got them done. And so a great group of students down here who did an incredible job. And, and let me tell you, church, you can be proud of our, uh, of our students, all right? Um, yeah. And now they're going to be locked in during this entire message. They're just incredible. Um, anyway, um, so... Uh, I don't even know where I'm going next. Um, great trip. I, I know. I just want to say thank you. So many of you who uh, were a part of that trip, either by uh, maybe you financially helped one of our uh, team, one of our students go, or just through prayers. I had several people this morning just say, hey, we were praying for you this week. And so that means uh, an incredible amount uh, to all of us when we go on those trips. And so thank you for your prayers uh, as we were down there. So anyway, great, great trip. You'll probably hear more about it uh, in weeks to come and, and uh, good stuff. All right. Um, we are in the book of Acts. So hopefully you've been with us all the way through this. This week we're going to be in uh, chapter 16. It's really where we're going to be, uh, land for most of our time here this morning. I appreciate Jake coming over from Stone Canyon last week and, and sharing with us. Uh, really the challenge just to persevere no matter what circumstances that we face in life. Uh, uh, and we just got to press on and know that God is with us through that. We saw that in, in, uh, through Paul's uh, trials that he faced in his first missionary journey. Today we're going to be jumping into his second missionary journey and see what happens there to him. All right, uh, just a little bit of context of what's going on, all right? Um, verse, uh, chapter 15, okay? We're not going to park here real long, but I just, we just got to talk about what, what happens in that, uh, in that chapter. Um, rewind uh, several weeks ago to Cornelius. All right. You remember we talked about Cornelius whenever the gospel went to the Gentiles for the very first time, and uh, uh, many were like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" You know, the spirits came on them and they received salvation. But not everybody was all excited, and so they had to have a big meeting. You know, is this okay? And Peter had to tell his whole story about how it all happened and everything. And uh, and so most came on board. Well, you come to chapter fifteen, and there's still some who are struggling, okay, that the gospel's now gone to the Gentiles. And what is it that the Gentiles have to do to be acceptable to God? And so you have those who are called uh, part of the circumcision party, okay? What they're saying is, hey, these guys, uh, they need to have a little outpatient surgery if they're going to become a part of who we are and following Jesus. And, and so, but others were saying, no, not so. And so they had to have a big council, a big meeting with the, with the elders of the church and the apostles and, and to figure out what's going to be required of the Gentiles. And, and so they came to a conclusion that we're not going to put more weight on them than is necessary. Let's just ask them to do, uh, make sure they refrain from a couple of simple things that we're all striving to refrain from, which is, number one, all dealing with uh, worshiping other idols. Hey, we want God to be first. Don't, don't involve yourself 
yourself and the worship of other idols and the eating of meats from uh, uh, idol worship. And then number two, abstain from sexual immorality, okay? So stay away from those things. We're not going to burden you with anything else. Follow Jesus, okay? And, uh, and so that was the message, and the leaders send out Paul and others to go tell the churches, this is what's going to be required of you. And so whenever they show up and they begin to tell the churches, here's what the leaders have said, they rejoice. It says that they strengthen their churches, and partly because we don't have to have surgery. <laughs> That's great. And uh, so uh, that was the message, and it was received very well, all right, as they went from church to church and was telling them about that. So <clears throat> you come to uh, chapter 16, and at the beginning of chapter 16, it's kind of a weird little part of the story here where you have Timothy now, okay, young Timothy who's coming into ministry now, and he's going to follow with Paul and uh, Silas and, uh, and, and others who are traveling there. And the first thing that happens there is that Timothy is circumcised. Paul has him circumcised him. And he's like, whoa, wait a second. Well, he just said we didn't have to, and now why is he being, you know, having surgery, you know? And and you've got to look at what's the purpose behind it. You see, the argument before was they need to do this for salvation. This was not unto salvation. This was so that Timothy might be able to share the gospel with the Jewish people who would not otherwise accept him. And so he's saying, hey, and this says so much about Timothy. Timothy says, I'll do it. I'll have surgery so that Nothing hinders me from being able to present the gospel to my Jewish brothers and sisters. I want to be able to point them to Jesus, and if that gets in the way, then so be it. Let me have surgery. And so he does. So it wasn't unto salvation. So that's how we start. We start off with Timothy, who was, on all accounts, he is awesome. He's doing great. He's like, I'm traveling with Paul. I'm on a mountaintop spiritual experience. I've just got back from youthquake. All right. And, uh, but he says, you know what? I'm, I'm willing. Whatever it takes for me to point people to Jesus, I'll do it. And that's where we start in chapter 16. Okay. And so from there, Paul and his team continue to go from church to church, telling them, about what the leaders have decided for them as Gentiles, what they need to do to be right with God, to follow Jesus. So, look at verse 4, Acts chapter 16, okay? As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance, uh, for, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders, okay, what we just talked about, who were in Jerusalem. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. It's the third time that Luke has used this little phrase, they were strengthened and they grew, all right? The word strengthened there, literally, it's that they found stability. They'd been kind of wavering as churches maybe a little bit. They, okay, where are the leaders going to decide? Um, are, are they going to lead? Are they going to make a decision? You know, and now the decision has come. It's been a positive decision. It strengthened the church. And not only did it strengthen the church, but now, now the church is more excited about let's go out and let's reach more people. Let's point more people to Jesus. And the church is growing. Okay? And now, as we continue through chapter 16, Luke begins to point out the ways that God is directly involved in Paul's ministry, how he is, he is active in where Paul is going and how Paul is leading the church. And the first thing that we find is this, 
is that Paul was directed by God. He was directed by God. Let me ask you a question. Do you follow God's direction in your life? Is that something you think about? Is that something that you, you spend time uh, seeking after God's direction as you face decisions and circumstances in your life? If I just spit on you guys, I'm just sorry. I just thought, anyway, sorry. Um, but is that you? I mean, are you one who, who seeks God's direction in the decisions that you make and the directions that you take in life? I think we see that in Paul as he and his team are, are going from city to city and they have a plan of where they want to go, where they want to take the gospel, who they want to point to Jesus. Look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. See, Paul and Silas, they wanted to go to Asia. They wanted to take the gospel there. It made sense to them that this would be the way we're, we're going to head. We're going to head east and and something, somehow, God shut that door. said, no, I'm going to send you west. Have you ever encountered a time in your life where you made a plan and God shut that door? Been there? You made the plans. You, I, I'm going I'm to go to this school. I'm going I'm to get this job. I'm going to date this guy. I'm going to marry this girl. I'm gonna, and, and then, wham, you know, God shuts the door. It's like, What? But, it's, but, but that's what I planned. And God says, no, got another plan. Been there? And we have a choice to make. We can argue with God. What are you doing? Or we can, kind of like what we see in Paul and Silas, oh, okay, I'm going to go this way. Maybe you've been there. I think we all have when we've had those moments. And here Luke gives the credit to the Holy Spirit having closed that door for them. Look at verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Once again, Paul and his team, they made a plan. They, this is where they wanted to go. They begin to carry it out. Wham! Door shut. We're not going there. God says, no. And this time, Luke gives credit to the Spirit of Jesus. Close the door. Look at verse 8 and 9. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul receives a vision. It may have been something like what Peter experienced uh, earlier in the book of Acts, maybe. Whatever the case, he has this vision of this man from Macedonia. Macedonia is a Ro Roman province, really the, the heart of Gentile, the Gentile culture. And the, and the message is this, help us. What do they need help with? I mean, they are, the, the Romans were the most powerful people on the planet, you know. What do they need help with? They need Jesus. That's what they need. They need salvation. And so the message comes to Paul, help us. And now Paul sees an open door in front of them. Look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we, let me stop right there, we, up to this point, all we've seen Luke say is they, they, they. Now it's we. What does that mean? Luke is now part of the team. 
Luke, the physician, historian, as he writes this, now he gets to see all this firsthand. Immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Aha! This is it! This is where we're going. No more closed doors. God has opened the door, opened the way for us to go. We need to continually seek God's direction in our life and in all circumstances. We need to have our eyes open to the closed doors and the open doors that are before us and be willing to go wherever God leads. That's what we see in Paul and his team as they continue to move forward in their journey. They had, a, they had a purpose. They knew what they were here for. They knew that they were here to point the way to Jesus, to point others to Jesus, no matter where God sent them. They just wanted to follow His direction. Have you ever had a time in your life, just a question, where you just felt like life was pointless? You just didn't know what you were here for? You been there? Probably every one of us. Maybe you were young, maybe you were older, but you had circumstances in life that were hard and that were tough, and, and you, maybe you came to a point where you said, what, God, what am I even here for? Maybe you echoed the words of King Solomon whenever he said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Things aren't going the way I thought they should, the way I planned them to go. Why am I even here? We have a reason for being here. That's following the direction of God wherever He leads. There's a little bug that comes out in uh, summertime around here. We're going to have a lot of bugs this year, by the way. Insect report in Oklahoma. Lots of bugs are coming. All right, get ready. They're already here. But there's one. I used to always call them locusts, but that's, not, that's incorrect. They're cicadas. Maybe you know what they are, big bulgy eyes, and they make lots of noise. I don't know if you know this about them, but they spend the vast majority of their life underground. 13 to 17 years, they are underground sucking on a root. That's a life. <laughs> anyway, but finally, one day, they emerge out of the ground to life. I mean, they, they're born. They come out, and they fly up to a tree, and they plant themselves, and, and they make a lot of noise. I mean, you hear them. You know, I won't make the noise, because you'll just laugh. But they make a lot of noise, and then they die, and that's it. Three weeks later. Yeah. It's sad. They emerge, they make a lot of noise, and then they die. And sometimes, I think, sometimes we look at life like that. We emerge, we make a lot of noise, and then we die. Some people make a lot more noise, some people make a little bit of noise, but we live this life, and then it's over. Listen, there's a reason why we're here. We're here to follow the direction of God wherever He leads us to go. Looking for the closed doors and the open doors, and just keep pointing to Jesus. That's what we see in Paul and Silas and his team as they continue on in their second missionary journey. They are directed by God, fulfilling the mission that God has given them. And, and to fulfill that mission, here's the second thing, they are resourced by God. They're resourced by God. 
God provides them what they need to carry out the mission that he has given them to point people to Jesus, okay? Um, and, and here's what happens. Paul and his team, as they continue to follow God's lead, they find themselves in a Roman city known as Philippi. It's where the Philippians live, okay? Uh, We're going to read about the birth of the Philippian church, the church that Paul would write a letter to later that is known as Philippians. (laughs) Just blew your mind, didn't I? Anyway, verse 13, here we go. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, here's the deal. Paul, if you follow him in his missionary journeys, when he would come into a city, the first place he would always go to is the synagogue where God's people, the Jews, would gather, and he would come and he would share with them the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, that all of prophecy had been pointing to. He has come and he has died and he has risen again and you need to follow him. And that's how he would begin his ministry from city to city. He would establish kind of his beachhead and then launch ministry from there. Well, he comes to Philippi and there is no synagogue. Why? Because in a city, in order, for, in order for a city to have a synagogue, they had to have a minimum of 10 Jewish men there to warrant the construction of a synagogue. Well, Philippi apparently did not have that many Jewish, practicing Jewish men there. And so, cities like that, the Jews would go out to a body of water. Here it's a river, might be a lake, might, who knows. But that's where they would go and they would gather to pray and to carry out their ceremonial washings that they would do and, and um, uh, traditions that they would, would do. And so, that's where Paul and his team go. So, this, this, I bet you they're going to be out there. Let's go meet there. Let's go start there. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. <laughs> Did you get that? Uh, I love that. Uh, to what was said by Paul. Okay? I know you're paying attention. Now, Lydia was a prominent businesswoman, all right? She was a seller of purple cloth, which was a very expensive thing to get a hold of in that day. Uh, it was a big process to make purple and blah, blah, blah. I won't go into all that. But she had a lot of, she had wealth, which also meant she was probably very networked. She had relationships. But it also so, it says that she feared God. She was religious. I mean, she had a lot of things going for her. But there was one thing she didn't. She didn't know Jesus. And so God presses upon her to pay attention because he has a message for her that day so that she might be pointed to Jesus. Is that you today? Is God pressing on you to listen because he has a message just for you today? Maybe. Whatever the case Her heart is opened. Literally, it means that for her inner eyes to be opened is is a literal translation there. But God was doing a work in her, and she heard about Jesus that day. Paul pointed her to Jesus. And look at verse 15, what happened? And after she was baptized, what does that mean? She believed. She placed her faith in Jesus. She she, obviously, Paul in in his... 
speaking and teaching about the gospel, the good news of Jesus included that she's to be baptized. And so she's baptized in her, in her household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. <laughs> I love that. She made a stay. <laughs> it's the only place, in, as I can understand or see, she's the only person that ever had an argument with Paul and won. You're staying at my place. And it seems at this point, from this day forward, this became kind of the base of operations for the church in Philippi. Her home was where they would gather at the beginning of the church in Philippi. And the church would grow from here. The church would be known as a generous church. Matter of fact, Paul would, would reference them over in, in his letter to the church in Philippi where he commends them for their generosity over Philippians chapter 4, and he's talking about them. And in verse 15 in Philippians 4, it says this, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, whenever I left you all, okay, remember that? He says, No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You guys were the ones who God used to resource my ministry. And he gives them thanks for that. If you go on down to verse 18, it says this, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He says, you made the sacrifice, you gave, you gave that my ministry might continue so that we can continue to point to Jesus, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's, he gives them a promise. First, he gives them praise. Yes, you got it. Your faith is growing and you're giving to God's kingdom work and God will keep on supplying for you so you can keep on giving and resourcing the work of the kingdom. Are you growing in your faith in the area of giving? That's how God resources His church, His ministry, is for all of us to continue to give to His kingdom work so that more people can be pointed to Jesus. He's our provider. Okay, so he's, Paul has been directed by God. He's been resourced by God, as we've just seen here from Lydia and the rest of the church as they have given, okay, directed. He's resourced. Last thing we see here is that he is set free by God. He is set free by God. Matter of fact, Paul's not the only one that's set free. Uh, there's four other people that are going to be set free, Silas with him and, and others in this story. Look at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Let me tell you, it is a sad indictment on a community or on a culture when those who are the most, are the youngest, okay, the weakest, are exploited. And that's what we see happening here. This young girl, she's not cared for. Worse, she is being used by these men, her owners, using her to make a profit. In the Greek, it leads us to believe that she is very young. 
She's possessed by a demon. If you do the back study on that, it's considered the demon that she's to be, uh, is possessed with is considered one of the strongest demons in Roman uh, or Greek mythology. You know, okay. But not only that, uh, again, she's been exploited. She would be at the bottom rung of the social ladder. She has nothing going her way. Verse 17, she, this little girl, followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's all she'd yell out. Now, some might listen to that and think, well, you know, it's not too bad. I mean, she's identifying them as, as crying out about the Most High God, right? And, and, the, and that phrase had been used for the Jewish God, but the problem is it was also used for the God in the Greek culture named Zeus. Maybe it'll be a little confusing. And I'm not so sure that you want... Um, Somebody bringing you publicity who's from the occult, <laughs> all right? Who's known to be demon-possessed. Just, just not good. But nevertheless, that's what she's doing, verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he's a little upset over it, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. The little girl set free. She's set free. Now, Luke doesn't say it in the, in the text. He doesn't elaborate on it, what happens to her uh, after that. But most believe that, that she became a follower of Jesus, that not only did they, they uh, cast, Paul cast this demon out of her, but, but that he pointed her to Jesus. And the reason that she's in this storyline is because uh, Luke wants us to hear about Lydia and her conversion. Now this little girl and her conversion. And after her, we're going to hear about the jailer and his conversion. And it just makes sense that she came to Jesus too. And she became a part of that church. And that that church probably came around her and loved on her and took care of this little girl. And you would hear this story and you might think, well, man. How awesome is that? I bet you everybody was excited about that. This little girl was set free. Well, I think most people probably were, except for those who were her owners, those men who were making money off of her, because when the Spirit left her, their prophets left them. So they're mad. And they grab a hold of Paul and Silas. They take them to the center of the city and to the marketplace to a place called the Agora. And it's a place where you can still go to today. And you can, they, they have highlighted the, the stone where most likely Paul and Silas would have stood before the magistrates, before the leaders of the city. And the men who brought them in brought charges against them. And most of the charges were valid, though a little bit stretched. And they turn the whole city against them, against these Jews who have come in here and upset everything about in, this, in our Roman culture. They might want to make sure that everybody knows they're Jews and we're Romans. And so they end, at the end of this, they are beaten by rods. Paul and Silas are beaten severely by rods and thrown into prison, put into stocks. They're not put into stocks to, so that they feel comfortable. They're put into stocks to make it as uncomfortable as possible. And they are in prison. Look at verse 25. In prison, this is where, that's the context here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're in prison. 
have just been beat. You would expect to hear groans, maybe weeping, maybe complaining, but instead you hear prayers and praise. What was it that led them in, these, in this circumstance to be able to pray and praise? I think they saw an opportunity. I think they saw themselves in a place with a captive audience. <laughs> They're all prisoners. And so they point all those in that place to Jesus. I would even speculate that it might be that some of those who are in this prison with them would later become a part of the Philippian church when they are released. Here's why I think that. Back to the letter of, of Philippians, verse 9 of chapter 4, Paul says this, What you have learned and received and heard, and here it is, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What did they see in him? I have to think those prisoners saw something that they had never seen before. Peace in spite of a terrible circumstance. So he says, hey, you saw to me, live it out in your life. He set the example for them. And so in this moment, in this circumstance, in this jail cell, they saw an opportunity to be able to point people to Jesus. But I think God also saw an opportunity here. Uh, look at the next verse there, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, earthquakes were not uncommon in that region. Matter of fact, when they would happen, it was, it was believed that earthquakes came because the gods were upset we messed up, and so this earthquake came. So they were uncommon. But earthquakes that open prison doors and undo locks, those weren't so common. This was, <laughs> this, was, this was a different kind of earthquake. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. <laughs> it may have sounded like that, I don't know. But the jailer, no, the jailer uh, he, he walks in, he experiences an earthquake, he, and he, he knows that if the prisoners have escaped, his life is over. He himself will be punished and killed. What's happened? So for him, and it was common in that day uh, for a jailer in this situation to pull his sword and take his own life. It would be better for him to do that than endure what was going to come. And so maybe it's Paul hears the sword come out of the sheath. That's a horrible sheath sound, but anyway, it comes out and he knows. Don't do it. We're all here. And the jailer's amazed. And somehow the jailer seems to make a connection between the earthquake 
and the God of Paul and Silas. What is it? Well, how does he make that? I don't know, but I know that in that culture it was somewhat common for the jailer's house to actually be a part of the prison attached to it. Maybe it is that the jailer, as he laid at night in his bed, could also hear the prayers and the praises of Paul and Silas and was laying there thinking, there's something different about these guys. Maybe the prayers that were lifted up was for him. Maybe the prayers that were being lifted up were for those who beat them. Maybe the prayers that were being lifted up were for their fellow prisoners. And, and they just think, there's something different. But whatever the case, the jailer makes the connection. Look at verse 29. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He makes the connection. This earthquake was your God. Verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they began to share Jesus with him. They point him to Jesus. He opened the door wide for them. They, he lofted the softball, and they knocked it out of the park. Verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Interesting. Paul and Silas' wounds are washed. Why the jailer's sins are washed away. They point him to Jesus. He comes to salvation. And that very night, he comes to follow Jesus. And then he brings them into his home. He feeds them. And they have a party. <laughs> early in the morning because he and his family have found Jesus. Now, the next day, all right, let's fast forward just a little bit here. We're going to speed it up. The next day, leaders come or they send some, some of the police uh, authorities down to the jail. Hey, release Paul and Silas. Go let these guys go. Look at verse 37. But Paul said to them, to the authorities that were sent there, the police, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. This is where Paul pulls his Roman citizen card, says, ain't going to happen. And so at this point, the leaders, the magistrates are scared because because Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they have rights, and they should never have been beaten, and they should never have been imprisoned. It shouldn't happen the way it was. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, leaders, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They were afraid because if Paul wanted to make an issue out of this, they themselves would face, face great punishment for doing what they did to these Roman citizens. So they are scared about what's going to happen. And so they come to Paul and Silas themselves, and they apologize. We are so sorry we did not realize your citizenship. And would you please leave quietly? Now, I think there's a lot more that happens in this part of the story that we read. Maybe some negotiations that take place. Look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. They're not rushing out of the city. They, 
let's, let's go check on the church. And they walk over to go to Lydia's place, and the church is, seems to be gathered there. And they share with them. It says, that, it says and when they had seen the brothers, okay, now there's, there's men now in this church, not just all the women who were there originally. At the, we have brothers there. They're gathered. They encouraged them and departed. Question. Paul and Silas knew they were Roman citizens. At any point in this narrative, they could have pulled that card and said, whoa, we're Romans, and stopped, not received a beating, not gone to prison. Why didn't they? I think they saw an opportunity. I think they saw this as an opportunity to protect their church. Because in the negotiations that it seems, I, I wonder, maybe speculate, maybe stretching, but I wonder if they said, hey, okay, we'll leave quietly, but don't mess with our church. It's interesting about the Philippian church, though you read a lot about other churches in the New Testament that face persecution, you never read that about the Philippian church. Maybe Paul made that negotiation. Another question I would ask in this text is this. In Paul's second missionary journey, surely there were more converts than just Lydia, a slave girl, and the jailer. Why did Luke just include those three? Lydia, prominent businesswoman, networked, religious, upper, top rung of the ladder on the social scale. Slave girl, bottom rung, nothing going her way. Jailer, considered probably middle class, probably religious on a, on a Gentile level, Greek gods. Kind of represents everyone. And maybe that's Luke's point. Salvation is available to everyone. And so, church, no matter your circumstances, no matter your prison cell, no matter where you find yourself, whether you're on a mountaintop like Timothy or on the bottom rung like the slave girl or anywhere in between, just keep pointing people to Jesus because He's available to everyone and everyone needs Him. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. That's what we're called to do. That's the point of our life. We don't just emerge on the scene, make a lot of noise for a few years and die. We go through life's circumstances and life's challenges. And we're called to just keep pointing people to Jesus. That's God's purpose for you. Follow the example of Paul and Silas who in the darkest of circumstances saw an opportunity. In their prison cell, they just kept praising their king and lifting up prayers to him. I know that you are not in a physical prison. You do not have bars in front of you to escape from but yet there still may be a prison that you are in. Maybe a prison of a job, career path. Maybe a prison of a, a maybe a marriage. I think, oh, 
Maybe it's, maybe it's your physical body and you look at the health issues you're dealing with and you think, this is a prison. Maybe it's just this life. You're so locked in on heaven, it's just this, this life is a prison. When will we escape? No matter your prison, let's just keep pointing to Jesus. Listen, when life seems pointless, just keep pointing to Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. And that's the kind of life we need to live. Father in heaven, may that be our heart's desire, just to point people to Jesus. That in no matter our circumstances, whether it's on mountaintops like Timothy or in the very bottom of the pits like Paul and Silas, God, may we just keep pointing people to you. May we just keep lifting our voices, our hearts, in praise to you, our King, so those around us can know our hope, can know our joy. That's all found in Jesus, our resurrected Savior. So God, lead us as your people just to keep pointing to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.